What a good reminder that we are gathered this morning to adore Him, that our lives are for the purpose of glorifying Him. As we open up the Scriptures this morning to the book of Ephesians, any elementary kids are welcome at this time to gather out in the foyer to begin our time of children's worship. And we appreciate uh, David pulling double duty this morning. And uh, our other David, David Vaughn's absence today as he is out visiting his his mother but what a joy what a blessing to be gathered to be led I don't know about you but I, I was a little hesitant there at the end when we went acapella to, to sing because I didn't want to mess up the the harmony you guys sounded good and praise be to God well we're in Ephesians chapter 4 today uh, we've been tracking through the book of Ephesians we've been in Ephesians for quite some time now and now we're circling back uh, to some key verses some key passages through our present series Uh, For a few weeks together during the month of January, we are in a series walking through uh, our church covenant, which for us uh, is an expression of our commitment together as a church family. In other words, it's, it's, it's a document, a written document, and we began looking at it last week that we ask every member, every prospective member of our church to support, to agree, to to, to strive to uphold. It doesn't express everything about who we are and what we believe, but uh, certainly gospel truths, uh, key values, mission statement for us. And in that particular document, listen to what we say. We say, as followers of Christ, as followers of Christ, we will value discipleship. So this is not where it begins. We began last week. This is our second core value as a church family, uh, discipleship. Uh, we will strive to grow in Christ, by seeking Christ in the home, in the community, and in the church. And when we gather, like we are this morning, when we gather, we will pray to the Almighty God, we'll read the Word of God, we'll hear the truths of God, we'll observe the ordinances of God, fellowship in the name of God, and sing to the glory of God as we anticipate the return of Christ. That's discipleship. When we say discipleship, we're talking about living for Jesus. We want to honor our Savior, the one who has rescued us. In fact, we sang that just a few moments ago. That we want to glorify you, Jesus. We want to honor you, Jesus. And yet so often, we don't. Maybe you do, but so often I don't. So often we don't. And when we don't, when we don't live for Jesus Christ, when we don't live for him, it's usually because we're uh, believing lies. Right? In, in that moment, the, maybe the lie that something else is better than Jesus. Or, or that we know better than Jesus. The, the lie that we don't need Jesus. Or maybe the lie that we're not loved by Jesus, you know, one of the lies that I sometimes believe is this, that I can do it on my own. I can, I can do it on my own. I don't, I don't need help. I can follow Jesus. I can lead my family. I can shepherd the church. I can teach. I can preach on my own, in my own strength and in my own wisdom. I can do it on my own. And that's a lie. I can't do it on my own. But perhaps a lie that I more often believe is this. I'm not equipped for this. God, you've messed up here. You you messed up on this one. You messed up on me. You've not given me the gifts, right? The wisdom, the energy, 
the strength to follow you, to lead my family, to shepherd the church, to preach the word. I'm not equipped for this and I can't do it at all. And that too is a lie. Friend, I don't, I don't know which lie that you're more prone to believe concerning your walk with Jesus. I can do it on my own or I'm not equipped for this. But according to the Bible, Jesus sufficiently, appropriately, and specifically graced us to follow him. Jesus has sufficiently, appropriately, and specifically graced us to follow him. What do I mean by that? Our God has given us what we need to live for him, to walk with him, to know him, to follow Jesus. I think maybe nowhere is that more evident in the scripture than in the book of Ephesians. The text, the letter that Paul writes to the church in the first century that communicates clearly and thoroughly salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. And yet at the very same time calls the people who've experienced the salvation of God through faith in Christ to live for Jesus Christ alone. Clear instructions, admonitions. We've begun looking at some of them to live a certain way. To get rid of certain ways of thinking and and acting and and living and to replace them with with other things. But it's not a message of of work harder. It's not not a message of uh, pull yourself up by uh, your bootstraps. It's, It's a message of trust Jesus, rest in him, believe the promises of the gospel. And so let's hear it once again this morning from Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 7. Would you stand for just a moment for the reading of God's word? But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And Father, would you help us? Understand, believe, and rest in this truth. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, the grace that Paul's mentioning here in this verse, chapter 4, verse 7, is not saving grace. Right? This, this thoroughly explained elsewhere, namely, particularly chapter 2. It's not saving grace, but serving grace. The grace Christ Jesus apportioned to each of us is the ability to do what God has called us to do. In other words, we've been resourced by King Jesus himself to play a special part in his church, in his kingdom, and to live for him. That's what Paul is stating here. He's just highlighted in the first few verses of chapter 4 the necessity of unity in the church. Talk about the church, a place that ought to be characterized by unity and harmony, togetherness among God's people across various boundaries that otherwise might cause division. Things like gender or age or race or economic status. Paul's beginning to paint a picture of the church and he does so throughout chapter four. The church as a body working together in harmony toward health and growth under the headship of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible's saying here, and says elsewhere as well, the Bible's saying that 
that just as our bodies have different parts, right? Different members working together. So the body of Jesus Christ, the church, has different members gifted by Jesus himself to work together for the good of the church and the growth of the kingdom, the health of the body of Christ. Jesus has sufficiently, appropriately, and specifically graced us to follow him, to live for him. And not just pastors or teachers or missionaries or worship leaders, not just some of us, but every single one of us, every one of us. That's what he says here in verse seven. Every one of us. Pastor Kent Hughes reflects on this. He says, the point for us is each of us has received this enabling grace in the exact proportion that Christ gave it, gave it. All of us, he says, no exceptions, have a serving grace which has been given to us by Christ in perfect measure. Paul says it this way, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He's talking about an equipping grace, sanctifying grace. A grace given by Jesus himself that provides us exactly what we need in this life to live for him. See, Jesus is not mad at us. He's not wagging his finger at us. No, he is for us. He's with us. He desires us to to know and to live for him. Jesus is fully invested in your spiritual growth. He's committed to you and to me. He has sufficiently, appropriately, and specifically graced us to follow him. Every single one of us for the glory of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus. God made us to glorify him. He's made us to exalt him, to honor him, to know him, to to live for him. He made us to know him and to enjoy him, to be in relationship with him. He made us for that purpose. And through the coming of, of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, His substitutionary death, his triumphant resurrection, God has brought us sinners back in to right relationship with him. And so friend, if if you've trusted Jesus, if your faith is in Christ, if you've turned away from sin and you've clung to the truths of the gospel, if you've bowed before Jesus, then you are fully forgiven of every wrong. You are free from the guilt and condemnation That once was held over you and you are always welcomed into the very presence of of God himself. And not only do we have such a positional right standing with God. Not only do we have that status, that position of, of children, a forgiven one before our God. But God himself has equipped us with just what we need to live out that identity in Jesus Christ. To live for him. He is sufficiently, appropriately And specifically graced us to follow him. Every single one of us for the glory of Jesus in our lives. In our lives. Jesus has given us what we need to live for him. In fact, this whole pericope that Paul's writing here is about living lives that honor Jesus. Living lives of surrender and submission to Jesus. He's just unpacked. We've seen this in our time in the Word before, but Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, unpacking these key gospel truths of who we are in Christ, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then he turns to chapter 4 and he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. 
This is who you are. This is how he begins the letter. This is who you are. This is who God has made you and saved you to be, adopted as his children, saved by his grace, rescued from sin and death. Now live like you are his children. Live lives worthy of the gospel, the calling that you have received. And then again, he says, so I tell you this and insist on it, the Lord, that you must no longer live this way, no longer live as unbelievers. Rather, he says, put on the new self, the new identity, the new life created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Why? Chapter 5, verse 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live out this new status, this new position, this new identity as followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, you've been rescued, you've been delivered, you've been saved. You're not who you once were. Fellow believers, we've been graciously brought into God's kingdom. We've been rescued by the king of all kings. We've been Adopted into the family of the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We've been granted constant access to His presence, constant access to Him. So let's be a a people who commune with Him. Let's commune with God daily. Let's commune with Him. Let's walk with Him. Let's be in relationship with Him. Let's invest in that relationship. Let's commune with God daily. What does discipleship look like? It means walking with the Lord. Spending time with them, communing with God day after day after day. I don't know your personality and demeanor. Certainly, I know many of you, but I don't know all the specifics about you. But one thing about me, I'm a bit of a homebody, right? So just several months ago, and I've shared this before, we, we moved into a new home. And it's currently and probably will be for a while a, a work in in progress. It's under construction uh, just a bit. So we sort of took on this home as a bit of a fixer-upper, knowing that it would be that case for a while. And, I, and I'll be honest, our, our sort of standard of acceptance in the home has dropped significantly because it's a mess. Right? Don't be offended if you've not been invited into our home. Hopefully, you will be soon. It may be a few more weeks, but it's a mess. But even so, after a long day, there's nowhere I would rather be than at home. A place of rest. right? A, a, pr- a place of rejuvenation, a refuge, a place where I know I'm in relationship with those I love and those that love me. And may that be true in our walking with Jesus, church. May Jesus be a refuge. Maybe he be a, a place of rest Someone that we run to and commune with day after day, moment after moment, knowing that he loves us, that he accepts us, that he welcomes us into his presence, and that he is committed to us, that he has graced us with just what we need to know him, to enjoy him, to follow after him. Sort of suppose, what what if? What if you, week after week, were excited and eager to gather with God's people? as I know you are, to come together, to sing his praises, to hear his word read and taught, to fellowship in his name, to cry out to him together. What if you were excited the Lord's day rolled around and you you simply remained at the back door outside the sanctuary, sort of gazing in, peering in, faintly hearing the congregation and the worship 
leaders sing praises to God, barely hearing the word read and, and taught? What if we were content sort of gazing in, peering in from a distance? Well, that would be foolish, would it not? Why would we stay outside when we could simply come in and dwell in God's presence among his people? Andrew Murray, a Dutch Reformed pastor from the 19th century, predominantly says this. He says, come to me. When Jesus said, come to me, he was he was saying, come to me and stay with me. I come stay with me. Come to, to me and rest in me. Come stay with me. Come be in relationship with me. And he poses that question. He says, who would, after seeking the king's palace, be content to stand in the door when he is invited in to dwell in the king's presence? And share with him in all the glory of his royal life. He says, oh, let us enter in and abide and enjoy to the full all the rich supply of his wondrous love that he has prepared for us. Well, friends, we've been made and we've been saved. We've been rescued to enjoy the rich supply of God's constant love. May we enter in and may we rest in him. May we delight in him. Let's delight in him. Let's walk with him. Let's run to him for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And in Christ, only Christ, will we find rest for our weary souls. Still the beginning of a year and just a couple weeks ago, Austin Birch challenged us from the word to to turn to Jesus, to rest in Jesus. May Jesus, in essence, be our our rest and our comfort, our hiding place, place of confidence and satisfaction and delight throughout this year. And many folks this time of year were looking at New Year's resolutions. And for believers, one of the most common New Year's resolutions is to be in the word. To engage in a Bible reading plan. Maybe it's to read through the Bible in a year. Or maybe it's just to read through the Bible on a consistent basis, a daily basis. And what an excellent commitment. But where we're doing that, may it not simply be a a box that we check, but may it be for the purpose of knowing Christ, of walking with Him, of consuming His Word and being in relationship with Him, resting in Him. You see, Jesus has exceedingly graced each one of us to live for him. But not on our own. This is good. Not on our own. Not in isolation. Not alone. But in the church. In the church. He's given us what we need, in other words, to to live our lives for his glory and to gather with these people that he calls the church and to be a part of that for his glory among the company of God's redeemed. Nestled in a faith family, invited to enjoy the same privileges given to every other recipient of God's amazing grace and called to love one another with the kind of caring and sacrificial love that Jesus himself has shown to us. What a privilege. It's no secret that anxiety and loneliness and depression and suicide are affecting countless lives in our day. No doubt, dozens within our own faith family in the COVID pandemic, I'm certain, we're certain, has magnified this crisis. So you may feel alone. You may feel isolated and broken and ashamed, but here this morning and here every 
every moment of every day from the Lord Himself that you are not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. There's a God reigning on high who cares deeply for you. Whose love is unfailing for you. Who cherishes you. Who values you. Who desires for you to experience this rich and abundant and constant blessings. The blessing of being in relationship with Him. And there's a faith community committed to walking beside you. To loving you. To seeing God's mighty hand at work within you. You see, Ephesians 4 is about the church. It's a picture of the body of Jesus Christ. A message to the church to be the church. To live as the church. To live as the family of Christ. Rescued by the grace of Christ. And equipped to follow after Jesus Christ. And to do so together. Together. Jesus has sufficiently, appropriately, and specifically graced us to follow him in the church. God's word instructs us to use those grace gifts for the good of the church. And so the word says right here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We've looked at this text before. But God gives leaders to teach God's word. Paul's focusing in on some particular gifts that have some similarities in this text. He's not offering a comprehensive list of gifts, but he's focusing in on some key gifts, leaders, to teach God's word. God's word is foundational for our growth in Jesus Christ. And so he mentions the apostles and prophets as those that provided the foundational witness concerning Jesus Christ and particularly the message of the gospel going to to us, to the Gentiles. Mentions the evangelists that probably resemble our missionaries today, taking the gospel to the unreached, traveling from place to place with the news of peace through Jesus Christ and references pastors and teachers, leaders of local churches, holding positions of leadership and Charged with shepherding God's people. We're going to come back to this in just a few weeks. Camping out and diving into what, what, what is the role of a pastor? What is the role of a church leader? What is the responsibility of those that have been entrusted to, to lead us and to shepherd us and to proclaim the word to us? Well, God gives leaders to teach God's word and he gives saints to serve the church. Saints to serve the church. That's the picture here. Like the more literal rendering of verse 12 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We've got a number of of saints in this faith family. I want to mention just a handful this morning. I know that's that's dangerous. I'm not going to mention my name. I'm going to call a few. If If you're serving right now as an active deacon, would you just stand up for a moment right where you are? If you're an active deacon serving this year, some of you are thinking, am I an active deacon? These folks are, are leading servants in the church. Church, they're committed to us. They're charged with helping pray for us and promote 
unity and harmony in the church. They serve in a variety of ways, most often behind the scenes. And so let me encourage you, church, you guys can can have a seat. I know you're ready to sit down. As they're praying for you, as they're reaching out to you, would you join in praying for them? Would you join in praying that our deacons would be would be servants that honor Christ and that lead by example, that minister in the church in a way that the rest of us can imitate for the glory of Jesus and the good of the church here. But here's the reality. The saints in Ephesians chapter 4 is not a reference to, to an office in the church. It's not a reference to deacons, but to all of us, to you and to me. We're, we're the saints, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and set apart for the glory of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's describing in every member ministry for building up the body of Jesus Christ. In other words, friends, you may not be a pastor, you may not be a deacon, you may not be a missionary, but you have a significant and necessary role to play in Christ's church. See, Jesus has sufficiently, appropriately, and specifically graced you to fill that role. Many of you know this. We, we need folks to greet. We need folks to rock babies. We need folks that will come alongside parents and serve in student ministry. We need folks that will fill communion cups and others that will be prayer warriors. And we need knitters and women on mission and Jimmy Hell servants. And the list goes on and on and on. How has the Lord gifted you? How has he graced you? How has he equipped you? To serve for the good of the church and the glory of God. You see, the biblical picture of the church is of every single member of the body, every part of the body gathering regularly for instruction, biblical instruction and humble service, growing in relationship with the Lord and with one another. So Meadowbrook, let's be a people who grow with each other in community. Let's grow with each other in Community. Certainly, let's commune with the Lord daily. Let's walk with Him day by day, abiding in Christ, communing with Him, but not just on our own, also with each other. Let's grow with each other in community. We were made for community, and despite our differences, and we are different, despite our quirks, despite our personalities and preferences, we're better together. That's what the Scripture is saying. We need one another. We were made for each other, we belong together. And so when you're not here or when you and your gifts are gone, the rest of us suffer on account of it. If you ever experienced part of you not doing what it was intended to do, certainly you have. Reminds me of a time or two I've woken up in the middle of the night and had to get up and use a restroom or something. and Something's asleep Legs asleep, and so step out of the bed, and what happens? Collapse. You can't, it's not functioning, it's not working, it's, it's intended to do. There's a nerve problem, something going on there. Or if you've ever had surgery, you know one of the things that 
It's usually required before you go home from surgery. You've you got to use a restroom, right? Anesthesia does something to you. We won't go into all that. I don't understand that. But I had surgery recently, and I remember hearing that from the, uh, the recovery nurse, and I'm thinking, I, I never want to use a restroom so bad and get out of here and go home, right? We, we've all experienced something not working in the way that it was intended to do. And likewise in the church, we're, we're gifted, we're graced to serve in a way that glorifies Jesus, gives honor to Him, and benefits the church. When you're here, when every part of the body commits to life together for the glory of Jesus, worshiping together, learning together, praying together, sharing together, serving together, then we'll be growing together. Verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 4, to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him, from Jesus, the whole body, the whole body of Christ, the whole church, Joined and held together by every supporting ligament, every part, every person grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let me ask you this morning, are you doing your work? Are you, are you using your, your God-given grace gifts for the glory of Jesus in the church? See, Jesus has sufficiently, appropriately, and specifically graced us to follow him in our lives, in the church, and finally... Another realm in the home. In the home. Where does discipleship happen? Well, it happens as we walk with the Lord, as we commune with Him. It happens as we gather with brothers and sisters, the local church, a faith family, to serve together, to grow together, to worship together. And it happens in the home. And so husbands and wives, moms, dads, how's your home? Is it a place where God's grace abounds? Where Christ is exalted and His Word is taught? Such is our Lord's desire. And He has equipped us to do so, that our homes would be like little churches where the truth is believed and the gospel goes forth and Almighty God is praised. And I'll be honest with you, if I'm being honest this morning, this perhaps is a place as a husband and father where I feel most ill-equipped oftentimes, to lead for the glory of Christ, and yet the place where I probably most often attempt to lead in my own strength, in my own wisdom, in my own way, rather than His. But this, too, is a realm in which Jesus has sufficiently, appropriately, and specifically graced us to follow Him. So let's trust Him here. Let's trust Him here. See, for families, discipleship begins at home. With moms and dads sharing and showing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So church, let's point our children to Jesus. Let's be a people who walk with Christ in the home. Who teach His word in the home. Who share and show the gospel in our home. Let's point our kids to Jesus. And certainly, we strive to do so in our church family. In our gatherings, in our activities, in our classes, in our opportunities. We'll continue striving to do so coming alongside one another for that purpose, to that end. But may it also be the case day after day after day in our homes as we point our children to the gracious Savior and sovereign King who gives us all we need, who is what we need, and who has, does, and forever will meet our deepest need. That's what discipleship is really all about. It's about knowing and walking with Jesus. And soon we're going to turn in this direction for Paul turns in this direction next toward the end of chapter 5 mid chapter 5 as we begin to look at the home 
families, relationships that the gospel speaks into. Knowing and walking Jesus, the one who saves us by his grace and then equips us to know and to follow him. Do you know him? And are you walking with him? Let's walk with the God of all grace. Lord, help us to do so. Lord, guide us to do so. Lead us to do so. Lead us to be a people who who know you, who experience your grace. Father, who invite you to lead us and to work in us. And Lord, would you do so? Would you continue by your spirit to transform our hearts so that we know and experience rest in you, delight in you, satisfaction in you. And as we talk about discipleship growing in you, as we strive to to cultivate that relationship that you invite us into day after day with you, Lord, among your people and in our homes. Father, we pray that this would not be a burden but a joy, Lord, that we would lean on you every step of the way, that we would rest in your love, and, Lord, that we would acknowledge you, your equipping, your comfort, your grace, for you have exceedingly graced us. God, you have given us all that we need. You've given us more than what we need to know and live for you. Lord, lead us to do so. And hear our desire even now, Lord, to walk with you, to abide in Christ. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.